Hey everyone, it's Tom Hoare from BNY Mellon. Welcome back to our Perspectives podcast series where we bring you the conversations and the thinkers and the leaders that are shaping our financial world and beyond. Thanks for coming back and joining us for another episode. It's really an honor to introduce our guest for today's episode. And it's an especially timely and relevant conversation as we wrap up Women's History Month this year. Our guest today is Dr. Bernice A. King. Dr. King is the youngest daughter of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King. And she really has had a distinguished career, really expanding on the incredible legacy of her parents. She is a global thought leader. She's a speaker. She's a peace advocate. And she's also the CEO of the Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolent Social Change. She's got an incredible story, and we're so honored that she joined us to share it with all of you. And our conversation today is led by Catherine Keating. Catherine Keating, of course, is the CEO of BNY Mellon's wealth management business, and she's a member of BNY Mellon's executive committee. And they touch on a number of really timely and relevant topics. Dr. King shares how her parents influenced and shaped her own life and career, and the example they set for her in terms of leading with compassion and driving sustained social impact and change. She talks about the outsized impact that the pandemic has had on communities of color and how that impact has inspired the Be Love initiative that calls for social justice, which is something that she's leading as part of the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Center for Nonviolent Social Change. And she talks about the importance of mentors, allies, friends, and supporters when you think about how to create and seize opportunities for success and where you can really drive change in our world. So we're going to get right to it. As always, we want to hear from you. Listen, rate, review, share your feedback with us wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, on whatever platform you choose. And as always, you can find us on social media via LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course on bnymelon.com. Enjoy this episode and we'll see you at the next one. I'm so delighted to introduce Dr. Bernice King. Dr. King has made challenging racism in our country her life's work. Following in the footsteps of her remarkable parents, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King. We're just thrilled to have you here today. Thank you, glad to be here. So let me start with your parents' influence on your career. One of the things that your father said in the I Have a Dream speech is that he hoped that his four children, and you're the youngest of the four, would be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the strength of their character. How did your parents, who were two great civil rights activists, influence your career, Dr. King? Well, of course, I was uh, fortunate to have two parents uh, that were outstanding people uh, and great leaders. And usually when I think about their influence, I tell people that the most important thing for me is that my parents didn't just teach me important leadership values. They emulated them. Um, they were a, a daily example of what it means to lead compassionately, um, to be a servant leader, to be a transformative leader. Um, and my mom, I would say, mostly influenced me uh, by her day-to-day -day actions. She did a very good job of invoking 
a lot of my father's teachings and a lot of my father's words in our home. Um, and uh, it helped to create a framework for my growth and development. And she provided me with uh, different opportunities uh, at different times in my life to exercise my leadership. And so I really credit a lot of who I am today to, to both of them. Of course, I didn't know my father as much. I was only five when he was assassinated. Um, but I gleaned so much from his life and watching, you know, films, listening to her. She was like a walking encyclopedia um, <laughs> and concerning uh, the work that they were involved in and uh, having the benefit and value of the entire King family, including my grandparents who raised my father um, and his sister to contribute uh, to my understanding of who he was as a person and as a leader and his growth development, his trajectory, um, you know, has played a great influence on my life. Uh, and I try to, as much as possible, stay true, at least to uh, the whole notion of being a servant leader, a compassionate leader, um, and a transformative leader. Uh, and, and last but not least, uh, I'll frame it in, in this context. Um, both of my parents led with their conscience, um, which sometimes can be challenging. Uh, and I find myself trying to remain true to that. My father was once in an interview with a gentleman by the name of Mike Douglas. And at this time, my father had spoken out against the war in Vietnam. And at the time, it was very controversial for him to take that stance as a civil rights leader. Many people felt that he just should have stayed in the realm of civil rights. He, you know, he didn't know anything about international affairs and that his speaking out would jeopardize the support um, of President Johnson and his administration for further civil rights actions. But my father felt that he had to follow his conscience. And so Mike Douglas asked him this question. He said, are you concerned about um, uh, losing favor with President Johnson. And my father's response was, well, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that I not uh, fall out of favor with what is true and with what my conscience tells me is just and what with my conscience tells me is right. He went on to say, I'd much rather remain in favor with these principles than with a person who may misunderstand the position I take. Wow, a leader of conscience. Um, and, and so I thank God for the deposits that my parents made in my life. Well, thank you for that. And I'm, I wanna focus in particular for a moment on your mother, Coretta Scott King, because you've mentioned her influence on you. And you know, professional women can sometimes feel that it can be hard for their voices to be heard, um, it can be hard for their accomplishments to be recognized. Your father's legacy is very well known, obviously, but you've said that your mother, Coretta Scott King, deserves immense praise for really architecting his legacy. Can you talk a bit about your mom's role in driving change? Yeah, wow. I mean, everybody that's listening to me um, obviously knows my dad. Um, and uh, this may surprise some people. Over 100 nations around the world celebrate his birthday every year. 
He's not a citizen of their nation, but yet they celebrate his birthday. And so I always tell people that when my father was assassinated, he was one of the most hated persons in, in America. And today he's one of the most admired and loved persons, although he's no longer with us, in the world. Um, and how, how did that happen? Is that just automatic because he was a great orator, he was a great leader, you know, he made tremendous contributions to our world? No, it was because my mother was the, the architect, as you said, of this legacy. Um, she did not come to it you know, by accident. She came to it because they were both uh, working as partners in this movement. She was very committed um, to social change. In fact, she was an activist before she met my father. Uh, she was a peace activist, uh, had been involved in a lot of peace work, was very influential in my father speaking out against the war in Vietnam. She said, hey, I believe it's time for you to lend your voice to the peace movement. Um, and it was difficult at that time, as I said. There were friends that were turning on him in the civil rights movement, um, criticized him um, publicly. But it was my mother who stood strong and said, we need you in the peace movement. So my father subsequently spoke out against the war in Vietnam. When he was assassinated, two and a half months after he was assassinated, um, obviously through prayer, um, she uh, birthed the King Center because she knew that the work that they did in that movement needed to be catapulted into the future so that generations like now would have uh, the, the, the lessons um, to draw from, the, the teachings that he left with her, with us, um, available to them. And so she set out to travel around the world with her book, Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community? Um, I'm sorry, not where do we go from here. My life with Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and uh, she started establishing his, his presence in the world in that way further after, of course, he won the Nobel Peace Prize in 64. Um, and then she came home and she started ex uh, encouraging state and local officials to celebrate the King holiday and send their proclamations uh, to the King Center. Um, and, um, and she continued to build upon, you know, uh, the work of exposing people to my father and building the King Center at the same time. And once the King Center was up and running, um, she then proceeded to put a lot of her energy um, into the King holiday. Now, even before that time, she had been very heavily involved um, in influencing uh, full employment legislation, uh, the Brady Bill, which I believe there's a, a, a bill about to be signed um, into law, um, as we know, um, uh, around uh, background checks. Well, she was a part of the prelude of all of this. Um, and, and we know about her work with the, with the LGBTQ plus community um, and her continual work uh, on, the, on the peace front. And so she was extremely influential. She built broad coalitions. That's how the holiday really, I think, passed. In 1983, she called together almost 700 different organizations, that's a lot, <laughs> to march on Washington that August. And before they could even get there, Congress the, the, uh, had passed um, the King Holiday legislation had to move to the Senate. I guess they felt, oh, Lord, this groundswell of people are now coming to 
<laughs> D.C. Um, uh, under her leadership. And of course, we know um, in October, November of that, little, that year, the legislation was signed into law. Um, so she really, when you think about Dr. King, we wouldn't know him in his iconic state had it not been for her diligent, her consistent and persistent way of shaping his legacy, ensuring that his papers would be here today. And the first speech that he ever made to the um, Montgomery, uh, well, on behalf of being president of the Montgomery Improvement Association, the organization that spearheaded the, the Montgomery bus boycott, she insisted that someone take a tape recorder because she was still home that just had delivered my sister, I believe, two and a half weeks prior and couldn't go. But she knew instinctually something powerful, historical was happening. And we have that speech today because of her. Um, so when we think about him, please think about her because we really wouldn't know him the way we know him if it were not for her. Um, and if she did not continue to champion important causes uh, for humanity. I love some of the words you used, consistent, disciplined, persistent in making this happen. They are such great qualities for anybody in working on something important and for, and for all of us in our, in our careers. I love that. So let me switch to the pandemic because the global pandemic has forced all of us to stop and focus on what's really important, what's important in life, uh, what's important in work, um, it's done it, you know, here at BMY Mellon, our CEO, Todd Gibbons, led the whole company to reaffirm our purpose as a company, our values. Um, and and I, I have a feeling that that may have been the case a bit for you as well in the King Center, because um, you've announced a new initiative over the last month. You call it the Be Love Initiative, which is calling for action on social justice. And we know, of course, that the pandemic has had a disproportionate impact on people of color in this country and around the world. So talk to us about this new initiative, what it is and why now, why you thought it was so important. Well, you know, over the last few years, there's been um, great polarization um, and division in our country. Um, you know, it's one thing to have differences. It's another thing to become um, combative to become inhumane and in how we deal with those differences. And so in looking at that, that, our institution decided, you know, how can we begin to really drive this whole notion of the vision of the beloved community where everybody um, is valued and, and treated with respect and dignity. Um, and when we looked at beloved, beloved community, within that phrase is the word be love. Um, and we wrestled with this whole notion of doing a campaign around love because oftentimes people misunderstand love. You know, some people dismiss it as weak and ineffectual, as a you know, as as um, um, as an affectionate um, emotion, as sentimental. Um, but my father helped to frame it differently, and he talked about uh, the relationship between power and love. You know, that power needs love uh, to, to not be destructive. And love needs power to not be weak. Uh, and therefore, he went on to say that power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best 
is implementing, I mean, is love correcting everything that stands against love. And so we decided to, to, to go on this journey uh, through a Be Love campaign to, to help us refocus in this nation our energies away from all of the hate and the hostility and the divisiveness to looking at something that should drive us all in terms of change, which is love. How do we come from a place of love? What, what does that look like? Um, and so we, and we're looking at how do we answer these three questions? Who must we be? What must we do? And what are we to accomplish um, in what we do? And subsequently, we ask critical questions. How do, let's redefine love so that people understand in the context of what my father was talking about. Love is a powerful force. You know, love does implement the demands of justice. It does not sit silently by. But love also is, is compassionate. It speaks in ways that it doesn't, you know, cancel people all the way out. Um, love engages in a, in a humane way such that you are focused on the injustice and not seeking to defeat, demean, and degrade the person. These all come out through some of the teachings we do at the King Center. Our work is focused on preparing global uh, citizens to create a more just, humane, equitable, and peaceful world uh, through my father's nonviolent teachings, which uh, we have rebranded Nonviolence 365 because we believe it is a lifestyle, as he taught, uh, that nonviolence is not just this about a tactic you use when you're involved in social justice, but you use it in corporate America. You know, you use it in your home. You use it in your church. You use it in the classroom. Um, and so this whole framing is about getting us back to our center of love and letting that catapult the decisions we make, the, 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 uh, the conversations we have, the actions we take. Um, and so in doing that, we're doing these series of Be Love um, education and training. Um, the first one is about redefining love, getting us on the same page revolutionary love, which, which changes people and systems, and then reconciliation love, reconciliatory love. Uh, because for my father, that was the ultimate goal, reconciliation. Um, and when you have that ultimate goal, the means and the ends have to be consistent. I can't reconcile with you if I'm trying to win over you instead of win over your understanding and friendship. Uh, and so that's what the campaign is about. We, we put it on our website, invited people to take um, a pledge related to being loved in our in our everyday life, um, in the decisions we make, in the conversations we have, um, in the actions we take, um, and, and so much more. And then inviting people to take uh, those courses. We are also uh, encouraging people to connect with organizations who are doing the work of, of, of social justice and um, social transformation, um, so that we all can be involved. And then finally, we. Uh, our, um, one of our um, next phases will be to uh, cultivate spaces and coalitions um, that are focused on working to implement local, state, national, and international policies and practices that eradicate hate, inhumanity, injustice, and inequity. Uh, so we invite everybody to come to the kingcenter.org um, and uh, um, take the pledge, Join us in this, ultimately, it'll be a movement, um, this, this true love movement 
um, that implements the, man, the demands of justice and corrects everything that stands against love as we are focused on creating the beloved community uh, with the education and training um, of, of people in my father's nonviolent philosophy and methodology. Well, it's really, really inspiring, Dr. King. And again, it just kind of reminds me of some of the work that we've done at our company this year. You say, you know, focus on what your purpose is and what you want to accomplish. That's exactly what we did. That's exactly what we did. Our purpose is to try to help our clients be successful in the financial world. But I'm also struck by something else you said. You said leadership is a lifestyle. And that's a very interesting way to think about it, right? That's very, very interesting for all of us. And it, it occurs to me that sometimes... Leadership means stepping forward, and other times it can mean stepping back. And in your case, I was struck by the fact that you were the very first woman ever elected as president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. It's a position that your dad had held, your brother had held, you were elected, and you chose to step back. Can you talk to us about what it means as a leader to sometimes step back? Well, actually, in that particular situation, I didn't um, get a chance to serve uh, as president of SCLC. Um, I was elected, but as soon as I was elected, the, the board of the SCLC split, and they were embroiled in a, um, a legal battle. Um, and I spent about a year and a half working with my team, get, trying to get ready to serve in that position. And um, it looked like this was going to be an, an, an intractable uh, conflict. And uh, I had to make a decision um, because to be elected and now step away was difficult for me. Did, did, it, did it cast me as a failure? Would people look at me as, as not being able to have, you know, the courage to, to take the reins in spite of what was going on? But unfortunately for me, um, at that time, I had just uh, come out of a, a, a court a battle with my brothers, um, and I was uh, I was leery. I didn't I didn't I was uh, litig litigation leery, um, and I did not want to be a part of any more battles like that. Uh, and so I decided that it was best for me to step step down from the position. Um, and of course, I made a, a public statement. And you know, usually when I make public statements, I try to do it in a way that um, doesn't attack the, the other person. Um, and, and, it, and it takes carefulness um, in doing that. It, it takes understanding um, the other person and being compassionate. Um, so that's what I did. You know, I made the decision uh, to step away uh, because I needed to be in a position where I would know who my bosses would be. Can you imagine having two boards? <laughs> it's, a, it's enough dealing with one board. <laughs> we agree. We agree. One board is it's plenty of board. <laughs> we agree. Right. We um, agree. And so it was. It was best for me at the time uh, to do that, um, and and that's what I did. And and uh, subsequently, uh, about eleven months or eleven and a half months later is when I became president, uh, CEO of the King Center. So. Wow, congratulations on that. You know, nothing in life that's important is ever really accomplished alone. And in fact, in the I Have a Dream speech, one of the things your dad said is we cannot walk alone. We need allies. We need people who will walk with us, who will work with us. 
How have allies played a role in your success and in the success of the King Center? Because it's one of the things that the Women's Network at BNY Mellon wants. We want lots of allies to help us with our work. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's important to have people walk with you, mentors, allies, friends, supporters, um, in everything you do. Uh, you need people who, you know, I've had people who have obviously exposed me to things um, that I was totally unaware of. Um, I, I've had people to um, um, connect me to people that I needed to know. Um, you know, I've had uh, obviously situations where people uh, have given me opportunity. I remember when I first uh, uh, was looking for an opportunity to use my skills in ministry uh, and a friend of mine had just accepted a pastorate and I was, I kept in touch with him about every quarter and he was telling me about um, his new assignment at his church. And I told him, it's ironic, I'm looking for a place to serve. And I, I went and ended up serving there. And he gave me an opportunity when I had never served in a pastoral role before. Um, he gave me an opportunity to, to kind of help in building some of the ministries of the church you know, giving me the feedback that I need, kind of sort of like an apprenticeship of sorts, um, you know, evaluation, feedback, um, and continuing to encourage me, you know, every step of the way. Um, and, and so, I, you know, who I am today, as I said, my mom, I have to just say, you know, I don't see my mom, well, she's an ally, but she's my mom, but she did so many things. She opened up so many doors for me. Um, and I have to tell this story because... It's an interesting story um, because most people wouldn't necessarily do this as, as, a, as a daughter to a, to a mother. Uh, but um, I was trying to get um, um, some favor with a bank. And uh, my mom picked up the phone and called the, the president of the bank and uh, asked if he would have a meeting with her, her daughter. Um, and he agreed to do that. I was trying to get a, a, a loan. I was young, much younger. Um, um, and uh, he met with me uh, and uh, agreed to give me this, this signature loan, um, which, you know, usually when you're young like that, you have to have collateral and all that kind of stuff. And um, when I left the bank, I said to my mom, I called her on the phone. I said, I just want to thank you for the, the privilege and blessing of being your daughter, because I know that meeting never would have happened if it had not been for her influence and advocacy. And I've seen that happen over and over again. Obviously, the King Center wouldn't be the way where it is today um, without the allies that my mother had. She faced a lot of challenges. People wanted her to stay home and just raise us, you know, because back then women were not supposed to be in the workplace, you know, in 68. Um, but she knew she had a mission and she knew she had a purpose and a calling. Um, and she set out to do it. And there were you know, people in my family who undergirded her and supported her in that work, uh, worked side by side with her. Um, there were friends who came along um, and helped to uh, navigate relationships with, with certain uh, leaders in corporate America um, to say, hey, this work that she's doing over here is great work. I've seen that over and over again with the King Center. When I came in, you know, I had to restore some of the image of the King Center. Um, and, you know, I had people who believed in me as a person and as a leader, um, and they came alongside of me 
and advocated for me before other people. Um, and it just had a ripple effect. And so I, you know, I thank God for, for that support. We cannot, as you said, we cannot do it alone. Anybody that thinks they're so talented and intelligent and educated to do it alone, I think they are deceived, highly deceived. Uh, it takes people undergirding, supporting, opening doors for you, advocating for you, encouraging you, right. because we, we do get discouraged. Um, and and that's so critical. Yes, excuse me. One of the things that I love about your um, comments there is that you're basically telling us that we can look very broadly for allies, right? You have allies in your family, like your mom. You have allies in your community, as, as you did at the church. You can have allies in industry, as you talk about um, other companies. And it, it's really very good advice for all of us. You know, there's no limit to the number of allies we can have, and we can be very greedy in trying to find them in a, to a certain extent um, if we want to drive change. I exactly. Think really, important, really, really important, the important thing is to avail yourself of that. And, that's and right. never, never shut off. It, strangely enough, there are people who you may have differences with, but there may be points of connection, and they're able to even open doors for you. That's right. That's right. No, it's really, really good advice to my thousand colleagues that are uh, that are listening in and our clients too. So thank you. So let me go back to International Women's Day and the theme of choose to challenge. Um, you know, it can, as I said, it can be hard for cha to challenge and it can be hard for women to challenge sometimes, right? We want to be constructive. We don't want to be aggressive. And yet we want to drive change. Is there one thing that you could suggest to everybody listening today about challenge and how to challenge constructively. And by the way, if there's more than one, that's great too. But just one thing that you've learned, you know, leading a life of challenge, of challenge of the status quo, what, what would you say to our listeners today? What's the one thing that they could try? Well, this is gonna sound interesting when we use the word challenge to juxtapose the next to the word listening to understand. Um, I find that it's important to seek um, openings when you are trying to challenge, particularly in, a, in, a, in, a, in an issue that may be uh, controversial. Um, people have openings. They, and the only way that they have openings is sometimes you have to take the posture of, I'm not here to point a finger at you. I'm here to first seek to understand where you're coming from. Um, Stephen Covey calls it one of the habits of highly successful people seeking first to understand than to be understood. Because um, I think so many times we approach situations where we know how we feel, we know the passions surrounding it, um, and we want people on our page. Um, but in a diverse culture, we have to find openings to connect with people so that we can then find a common ground to bring about change that is a win-win um, outcome. Uh, because that's where I approach things from. I'm, I'm always listening for where can I extract something here from this perspective that has a, a bit of truth to it and extract something here and bring those together in a way that all parties can say, okay, I may not be able to get it on, but I can live with this. So let's move forward in this way um, toward that win-win pathway. So that's 
that's one of the things that I um, uh, think is important. The second thing is um, we're not going to drive change in silos. Write that out. We will not drive change in silos. Uh, we got to get outside of our silos and our, 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 our comfort zones. If we're really going to change the world, think about this quote of my father's. He said, and he used the word men more globally, so I want everybody to understand the context because I want to use the, his actual quote. Um, so insert woman uh, or whatever. Um, he said, men uh, hate each other because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they are, um, because they don't, they're not connected. Women, I'm trying to get it right. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other. And they don't communicate with each other because they are disconnected from each other. Connection, Connection. is so important mm -hmm. in this world today to drive change. And we can't connect just in silos because our world has so many different perspectives and angles. Um, and we've got to be able to reach across these barriers and reach across the table, connect with each other and find these win-win pathways. Well, thank you. You, you have no idea how um, your words about uh, getting out of silos to drive change resonate with us at BOI Mellon and with our audience. You know, your, your comments today have been so inspiring to all of us here about leadership and about challenge. And I, and I have sort of four, you know, key takeaways that I'm going to take with me. So, so thank you for that. The first one you, you said is that, you know, leadership is really about purpose. You talked about your dad and leading with conscience and you talked about yourself and leading with compassion and that leadership is really about purpose. And we believe that um, here at BMY Mellon too. Uh, the second thing I heard you say is uh, that really spoke to me is that leadership is a lifestyle. And in that lifestyle, you can gather allies all around you in your family, in the community, in your company, in your industry, you know, to help, uh, to help challenge and, and drive change. And the third thing you said is that um, the first thing about leadership and challenge is listening. It's listening and understanding. And I think that's very important in a world today where it can feel like there's a lot of noise. Uh, but just like the first thing you have to do is listen. And I think that's very, very powerful uh, for all of us. And the last one, and again, I told you this really resonates with my colleagues and me, is that you can't lead, you can't lead and accomplish change in silos. You have to get out of your silos and find what you share. Um, and that's very, very uh, powerful and important to us at BMY Mellon too. And so again, on behalf of all of my colleagues, Dr. King, thank you so much for the work you do. Thank you for the time you've given us this morning and really this inspiration that we're all gonna take with us uh, through our day to day and into the future. So thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you all for having me, I enjoyed it. Oh, it's just been wonderful, just been wonderful. Hey everyone, Tom here again. Thanks for joining us for this episode. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. And as I said at the top, we hope you'll keep listening on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you consume your podcasts. And we'd be grateful if you'd share your feedback. Leave a review or a rating or tell us what you'd like to hear more about on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course on bnymelon.com. We appreciate you joining. We're grateful to you as listeners, and we'll see you at the next episode.